Hi. I try to take advantage of a few minutes now to do the Parsha so we can get it all out of the way by Thursday night. Um, I want to thank, by the way, Alan and Janet Brahms for being nice enough to bring my mother's mother's manure from Israel. They just dropped it off. That was very nice of them. And uh, in general, it's been a hectic week over here. And uh, truth is, my organization, Bino, we're running into a lot of expenses connected with the lectures, with the equipment. And so if anybody would like to kick in something to help me pay for uh, a lot of equipment that we need for the uh, audio and visual and the, and, and the, uh, the talks I give, we'd appreciate it um, if you can just write into Bino. But let's get down to work. This is Parshas Vaishlach. And, um, of course, you have the story of Yaakov and Esau. That's the dramatic story where they kind of make up. But it's juxtaposed with the rape of Dina, which leads the Chazal to say, see, if he would have married Dina, then, you know, Asa, then she would have turned Esau around and she wouldn't have ended up being attacked and abused by Shechem, the Canaanite prince. Which is quite a statement because what it means, like I said last week, was the Chazal had a very high opinion of the Jewish woman. Basically, Esau was a, a low-life playboy. But if he ever made a Beis Yaakov girl, she would have turned him around into a mensch. Uh, it's quite a statement. Now, specifically, the case of the uh, the story of Dina, the rape of Dina, is a, a, a remarkable. Uh, strikes me this year on a number of levels. First of all, it's very Nogea. What happened? Vatesi Dina Basleya. She walked out. Lerosa Munuars. Basically, a girl says, "Hi, you want to come with me to a high school party? You want to come with me to a college party?" She had no idea what's going to happen. Obviously, she grew up in Yako's house, even in Lovin's house. You might tell me, "Oh, Lovin was a bum, and he was no good." Not exactly. Not exactly. Uh, you know, if you looked at last week's medrash, it's very interesting. Yaakov kisses Rachel, doesn't he? All right, how can you do that? <gasps> you know, that's terrible. Yaakov kisses Rachel, and uh, they weren't married. And uh, there's, a fam- there's a famous medrash on it, which says that uh, there's three types of kisses are okay. The others are not. Kol neshika latiflis. All kissing is, uh, what's the case, risque. Barman klos, except for three which are appropriate. Neshika shal gedula, neshika shal prakam, neshika shal precious. You know, when you become a king, like King David was kissed by Prophet Samuel, and uh, that's neshika shal gedula, and the shikah shall pregnant when you see somebody after a long time. And the uh, shikah shall precious when, you, when somebody departs. And, uh, you know, this, and, and kissing Rachel was considered one of the legitimate ones. Which leaves all the Farshim worried, you know, how can a guy kiss, kiss a girl? Uh, you know, it's uh, outrageous and so on and so forth. And by the time the postcom are finished with it, they say, you know, it doesn't mean this, it means that. But the story I'm getting at is that if you look at that menus, which is in last week's Parsha, it says that Yaakov saw Rachel, he fell for her, he kissed her, and then he started crying. Right? Um, he started crying. And, or she started crying. No, he started crying. But he saw Kolo Now, the simple punch of shot is he was overcome with emotion. The guy's walking for miles and miles from Israel to northern Syria, hundreds of miles, never saw a friendly face, finally meets this beautiful girl, turns out to be his, his, his relative, who he was intended to marry. Remember the famous story? The older brother will marry the older daughter. The younger brother marry the younger daughter. Asa was supposed to be destined to marry uh, Leah. And Yaakov was he destined to marry Rachel. So, you know, let's put it this way. He met his Bashert. And so, he was overcome with emotion. That's okay with me, but that's not what the Chazal say. You say, why did he cry? Listen to this. 
Loma Bocho, Shero, Anoshim, Malachim, Eloel, Mishokov. The local Arabs in Aram Narayim, when Yaakov kissed Rachel, were shocked at this breach of public morality. Ma Bozel, Chadish, Lona, Dabar, Erva? Who's this stranger, Yaakov, and others, coming to introduce Arias, Dvar, Erva? Which means he violated Saudi Arabian etiquette. You're not going to see in Saudi Arabia, one of those places a guy goes and kisses a girl on, 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 on the public. And that's a matter of Tzinius, the way they understand it over there. And so Yaakov violated the Tzinius by kissing a girl in public. And it says, When the flood happened, and it was interpreted, the flood was interpreted as a rebuke against immorality. The surviving Goyim, in other words, Noah's generation of children afterwards, at least in the Middle East, it says, in the Mizrach, uh, learned their lesson. The God drew Atzim and Arias, and they put fences around them against Arias. Notice they introduced what we would call Victorian morality. That's why the expression is that the men of the East, or the Arabs as we call them today, are at least at the public level uh, into modesty. So when here this guy Yaakov shows up and kisses a girl in public, it's considered like extreme, you know, triple X, extreme. Uh, now, my reason I'm telling you this is, so now Yaakov gets married uh, four times. He has a daughter named Dina. What kind of a house does she grow up in? Even if love is a bum and, is a, and a cheater and all the rest of it. But Arias, they didn't do in public. You understand? Malady is there. So she basically was an innocent girl. That's the most dangerous thing in the world. You let an innocent girl who knows nothing about nothing alone in a college campus. What are you, nuts? You know, are you crazy? Now, nobody was watching her. So, Vatetsi Dina Basleo, Leros Bimnosaurus. Yaakov was in camp near Shechem. Shechem was the Canaanites, the Canaanim. The Canaanites are not the moral type. They're the immoral type. They're not the Anshi Mizrach. They're the Vene Canaan. My goodness, Canaan is famous. Remember Kamasi Eretz Canaan Losasu? You know, Ish, you know, it's Avi Vesachoso and all those incest things. That's called Maiseretz Mitzrayim Maiseretz Canaan. That's specifically mentioned in the Chumash. So Canaan's the headquarters for Triple X rated. And here, like I say, is a Basiaco girl, as we say today, I mean, BJJ, and then she shows up in Israel, and the father camps near a Geisha settlement named Shechem, and she goes out to check out the, the scene. Big mistake. After all, would you let your daughter walk in an Arab neighborhood? Right? <laughs> would I let my daughter walk in a Baltimore neighborhood, you know? Uh, you can't do that nowadays. That's just the way it goes. And if someone makes the mistake of doing so, Vayero some Shechem ben Bechamor some rich college guy named Shechem, the son of so-and-so, you know, Donald Trump's son, whatever, the, the father was a big shot. And it, to him, this is like Tuesday, it's like Wednesday, the Torah, you know, doesn't waste any words. He slept with her and then and, and he raped her. Notice he tortured her. So this is a traumatic experience. Well, you think it's a traumatic experience. And then, of course, the story goes, uh, weird, because it should have been that, you know, Dina was permanently scarred and, uh, you know, walked around, I don't know what, and never got over it. The way Tamar is described when, when she's attacked by her brother, Amnon, and, uh, and, it, and things like this happen. And you say, well, you see, you made a mistake walking around a bad neighborhood. But that's not the story. <laughs> the story is about Tidbak Nachal Badina Basleya. He fell in love with her. In other words, the first date was a bummer, but he fell in love with her. He really did. The language the Chumash uses is always with great care, obviously. 
Vatidbak Nashi, he had a dvekas of the nefesh. You know, no, don't say he fell for her. It said, Vatidbak Nashi, Badina Basleo, and then said, Vayavasa Nairo, and Vaydabra Livavia. He basically fell in love with her, and according to Chazal, the other way around, she fell in love with him. So even though it started out as something terrible, because there's no excuse for rape, but uh, she fell in love with him, he fell in love with her. And he goes to the family, doesn't he? And he says, you know, Kolashirtomerle, you know, uh, what's the expression? Uh, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. I want to make this good. You know, give me a big bill uh, to show that I mean well and that I genuinely am sorry how this whole thing started out and to show I want to do the right thing and I will treat your daughter like a gold. And I really will. I, like I said, I know the beginning was bad, but from now on, everything's going to be a new leaf. Harbole, I'm giving you a blank check. You write the amount, right? Isn't that what it says? Whatever you tell me to do, uh, you know, I'll do to prove that I, I respect your family and I respect the, your daughter and I'll treat her great and all the rest of it. Um, and of course, we know the Yaakov brothers deceived him and then killed him. I mean, that's the story. <laughs> and there's a whole discussion in the Mafarshim whether they did the right thing by killing everybody out. You know, the Ramban says, no, if you're interested in that kind of thing, which I don't want to go into today, the classic commentators on whether or not they're right to kill out the city, because after all, Yaakov cursed them later. Uh, look at Nachshoni, you know, uh, studies in the Parsha, whatever they call it. Yeah, I remember he gives a digest of all the all the views. Um, you know, they, they try to give halachic uh, uh, gedarm for this. But I'm interested in the story per se, and more, and more importantly, the story behind the story. This is what I found fascinating, and I'll tell you what I mean. If you look, first of all, what happens over there? He fell for a big time, and he was willing to convert. <laughs> time to go circumcision. He's willing to convert. Uh, that's quite a uh, quite a statement. I think the Ramban basically, you know, attacks Yaakov, uh, who is it, Shimon Levi, for that reason. He's willing to go all the way. So he really fell for her, and uh, it could have worked. You understand? We are told in Chazal that she fell for him. There's a matter that's based on the Pasuk. It says, Vayichu is called Noshim or something like this. You know, they killed the city out. Vayichu is Dino beat Achosam. And they also took Dino. Took her. Why did they say they liberated her? Answer, she didn't want to leave. She was already in love with him. And uh, they had to drag her out. And uh, what a bummer. What a disgrace. And they're thinking in terms of family honor, she was in love with the guy. What's the shot in all that? Now listen closely. If you look, at the Orchayim, the commentary on the Chumash, Orchayim HaKadosh, Orchayim, in Vaychei, I remember this, it's, it, it, the Orchayim is very interesting, because sometimes he goes Pashup Shot, sometimes he goes Kabbalah, sometimes he goes like math, it's, you know, it's a, like Ramban, in the sense of not having one style, he uses all kinds of different styles. Very interesting. So, the Orchayim in uh, Vaychei, when, when Yaakov, uh, Blesses Yosef. He said, "Beterf bini Alisa." I remember that. He blesses Yehuda. Beterf bini Alisa. You would then participate in the killing of Yosef, or the would-be killing of Yosef, whatever that means. So he goes off into a disquisition, and he says that, um, and this is an Arizal type idea. Why the Jewish people in in in, in Gaulis? There are many reasons. One of the reasons is, is like a vacuum cleaner, like a magnet. If the Jews go to a certain country, then some people of that country will be attracted and become Jewish. Now, uh, why would they do that? I'm not talking about, 
opportunistic conversions. I'm talking about Gerzedeks. And it is true, throughout Jewish history, wherever you go, there are a few Gerzedeks out there. Gerzedek. I myself remember, maybe I've said it in another podcast, that in 1983, I went on my honeymoon to Soviet Russia. Don't ask why. And we were in Moscow as secret agents for the Aguda. And we were in the show there during the weekday, and it was a pitiful sight. And there was this funny-looking guy standing in the corner with a weird-looking hat, bowler hat, davening, and the, and the, and the, the, the guys in the show, the Ruskies, told me, the guy's a Russian Gertzedek, meaning he converted to Judaism under the Soviet Union, and he wasn't married, and he did a lishma, and it's unbelievable. Let me put it this way. That's lishma, baby. You know, you're not getting anything from being Jewish in Soviet Union. The opposite. So, uh, what, how do you explain that? Somebody in Stalinist Russia or something that would convert to Judaism. There were people who converted to Judaism under Hitler. Does that make any sense? So you see, this can only be understood mystically. I'm talking about the way the Orachim puts it. And there's just a natural, there's like a magnetism. Literally, if I, I mean, not literally, magnetism is a physical property. I'm speaking of a spiritual world. But nevertheless, there's a magnetism that if the Jewish neshama, a real one, comes near a certain type of guy, certain type, he's just irresistibly drawn towards it, and he has to become part of Jewish people once to convert, even if it's against his interests and elders. Didn't we all read in the paper the other day, or I saw on the internet, I just saw the headline and look at it. Some Palestinian guy is in jail and he converted in Palestinian territory to Judaism, the others are beating him up, something like that. Like, why would some nut be in, I don't know where he is, in Hebron, I mean the Arab part, or, or uh, what's with Nablus, in one of these places, and want to become Jewish. What you do, a Jew will tell you, go to Tel Aviv, pretend to be an Arab, and then once you're in Tel Aviv, then you go convert. Uh, so you see that, you know, this is a Gertzedek, they're her- heroes. It's like Count Potosky, he's a hero. So what's the shot? They come within a radius of a powerful Jewish neshama, and they're just drawn like a, like a moth to the fire. I'm, this is what Archim says. And the classic example, he says, is Adina and, uh, and uh, Shechem. Uh, when Shechem saw her, so uh, he, immediately atta- he immediately was drawn to her. Now, in the beginning, he didn't understand his attraction. He saw it as just something physical. But, and that was bad. But instantly... There was literally a Tvekas and Nevers. He found himself so drawn to her and everything about her, everything about her, that he basically says, I will do whatever it takes to stay with you. And I'm willing to accept your religion and mean it and change my whole way of life. Matter of fact, I'm willing to, to change the whole city. Right? Because he went to the city of Shechem and he got them all to do it. Uh, and, you know, it sounds like it was opportunistic and all the rest of the way it's described. But that's a difficult part. I don't want to go into it line by line. You can't tell if Shechem and his father were telling the people the absolute truth or they're bamboozling them to get them to agree. But all we know is that we see, to me, something very interesting that you do see in Jewish history. And that is that this guy, guy meets this Jewish girl and uh, by the time the process is over, he just, you know, uh, irresistibly drawn towards her. I'm reminded of that case, just sitting here now, I'm, I'm pulling out a Gemara, that famous Tosis and the Ksuvis that everybody learned one time or another in the Yeshiva, where they talk about, um, you know, uh, how's it go? A, 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 a Jewish girl 
having beer with a guy, does that count or not? Does that, is that called znus? Do you say zirma susim zirmasam? The payment sheet to Rabbeinu Tom. I think most of you know what I'm talking about. And, um, and Rabbeinu Tom, we don't possibly this way. Rabbeinu Tom said if a Jewish girl has beer with somebody who's not Jewish, it doesn't count. Because like having with an animal. I mean, he's not, not considered a case of adultery. And where's the case over here? Uh, here it is, about Queen Esther and so forth. And when we talk, because Nirvana Tom had this opinion that Zirma Susum Zirmasum, that uh, the guy's form is considered like that of, a, of an animal, So what does this mean? It's quite a story, and in, in Tosis elsewhere, it's presented in more length. Basically, it's a movie. There was a girl, Jewish girl, time of of Tom, in the 1100s in France, and uh, she uh, met this guy, and he married. She converted to Catholic. It's in France, in the Middle Ages. And she was married to a Jewish guy, and she didn't even get a get from him. And... Uh, you know, she so she just felt whatever the reason is. You know, maybe drove her crazy. I don't know. We don't know the reason. So there's a lady, a girl, a young girl, probably young, um, a wife, who was married to a Jewish guy, and she converted to Catholic, married a guy, a Frenchman, and then decided to return back to Judaism. Got disillusioned with the Catholic, and she brought the guy back with him. Meaning, the guy was so crazy over her, he said, "I want to become Jewish in, in order to stay with you." And Rabbeinu Tom allowed them to marry because it wasn't a case of adultery, since the guy didn't count. You know what I mean? That's not called uh, the bee of a human. So it's, a, it's by 21st century standards, it's a very uh, racist and dehumanizing, but in terms of its final results, it's very liberal. Well, what's my point? She met him, he fell for her, and he was willing <laughs> to, to, to go to become Jewish, which is crazy in the 1100s in a Catholic country like France. Just to stay with the girl. So that's the Archaim said. And so you have a, a, a story within a story over here. In other words, the most interesting part of the story is not the physical story of the rape. The most interesting part of the story is what happens afterwards. And I always wonder, like, where do you get that from? Whenever I give this talk and a lady shares something like this, they say, how do you know, do you know that sounds like a male uh, narrative and all the rest of it? And I get that. But I'll tell you where I think they get it from. The words in the Chumash are Vayidaber Aleva Nairo. Right? Vayidaber Aleva Nairo. Which usually is understood to mean he spoke to try to appease her. But let's read those words in Hebrew. Vayidaber Aleva Nairo. He spoke on the heart of the girl. Even the heart means the mind. Aleva is just a very interesting expression in the Hebrew language. And we immediately, you know, shift into uh, try to rationalize the interpretation. You know, he tried to, to appease her, to persuade her. But for a mystic, like the Archaim, and people he obviously got it from, no, Vaidabar Alev is, is a powerful mystical statement. Where do you find Al-Lev? Uh, I'll tell you where. You do it every day. Uh, <laughs> what do those words mean? They should be on your heart. Al-Lev is a funny expression. It can't be literal. It doesn't mean the words are, you know, on your heart, above your organ of your body called the heart. 
physically located, you know, in your chest somewhere, or whatever, uh, above the breastbone, you know. So, what does it mean? I'll leave. So, I saw this myself long ago. I'll leave means something beyond rational. You should understand it beyond the normal ability of the rational cognition. Uh, and by the way, that's true. You should love the Lord with all your God. You can't rationalize that. You can't understand it literally. How can you love God? God is, is beyond comprehension. And, and, uh, according to our definition of what God is, it's beyond comprehension. How is it possible to love something you can't, you can't even comprehend? But the answer is, don't give me the rational arguments. Do it anyway. You see, no, it's a mystical leap of faith. Mystical leap of love, if you wish. So Alev means that you're doing something powerfully uh, real, but powerfully mystical, and can't be understood and analyzed in, in normal, logical, rational fashion. So, Vayidaber Alev Anaro. The Shechem goes and rapes Dina, and then he speaks Alev to something higher than her cognition, higher than her rational faculty, which merely means their souls touched, if I can use that expression, right? The meaning of the of the souls, like Dorachim says, and the two of them instantly. This is a very firm interpretation. I'm saying, and the two of them instantly re- recognized they were like men for each other. I'll pick a ball or something, you know. No, you just felt it. Uh, now the other brothers didn't know that, or they couldn't comprehend it. They weren't participants in this, and so on and so forth. They end up perhaps messing it up, not messing it up, depending whether they hold like Yaakov or not, and they kill Shem and the whole city, as as we understand, as we know. But the incident itself uh, triggers something very powerful. There's no question in my mind that the Chazal, when they put this interpretation on it, are viewing this through the prism of the Jewish historical experience, in which you find many, many times what I just described, a Shechem and Dina story, in which this Gaisha guy meets this Jewish girl, and by the time it's all over, it's not simply he's head and heels over her, but it's that he is willing to tie his fate to the Jewish people and uh, becomes 100% Jewish, and he means it, and you can only say that the encounter itself was the means by which he was introduced to Kali Yisrael. Uh, it's a strange way, but nevertheless, it's there. You know, as I'm speaking now, a, a famous story comes to mind. You probably noticed from the Gemara. Uh, the daughters of Shmuel remembered that they were kidnapped by a Rudolf Valentino type guy, a sheik of Arabi, Isser. Uh, Isser Giora, was it? Yeah, Isser was the name. Isn't that the story? And the daughter of the famous Rabbi Shmuel, Shmuel, you know, Rashiba Nardo. So his daughters were ca- kidnapped and violated by this Arab chieftain. Uh, and then, and they had a child, Mari. He became a rabbi. But then the guy, the rapist, <laughs> converted to Judaism. It's called Isser Giura, Isser the Geir. And they're famous Chosha Mishpat stories about him in the Gemara over there. So, that's a heck of a business. He's the sheik of Arab, but he's the leader of some Arab Khaleri, uh, band. They captured these Jewish girls. Uh, he violated her. And then he fell for her. And by the time it's over, he didn't sound as a fall for her, but he, what do you call it? You know, he converted to Judaism. Uh, I can't tell you how often something like this happens in Jewish history. Usually what happens is the guy is a Jewish mistress, and then he lets her practice Judaism, and it gets very complicated should I tell you a Hasidic story? I read, oh, <laughs> decades ago, when they still had Olamene. They still have Olamene? I was a little kid, and it was about the Ger Rebbe, the Sfas Emes. Uh, 
And the story was, I remember, I don't remember how they uh, fudged it, but the story was that in 1904, 1905 was the Russian-Japanese War, and uh, you know, all the, everybody's being drafted for the Russian army, going to go in the front where there are heavy casualties. And the story was that a Ger Chassid went to the Ger Rebbe, that time Debbie Spotsamis, and he said, this is how the story goes, I'm, I'm just telling you how I read it, after 50 years or 40 years, whatever it is. And the, goes, the guy goes to the Ger Rebbe and he says, what should I do? You know, now I got the draft notice. And the Ger Rebbe says, learn Mila, learn to be a mole, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever. But if you know anything at all about Ger Hasidim, a command is a command. It's like Labavish, you know? If he says to jump, you, you jump. So, without asking any questions, the guy went and learned up Hilchus Mila real quick. I mean, he knows he learned how to perform a circumcision, and then he entered the Russian army. And he's on the, the story is that he goes through the basic training, and then he goes on a troop train on the way to the front. The front was all the way across Russia on the other side, in the Russian-Japanese war, on the Manchuria side. And... And as the train is going through Russia, Central Asia, it stopped in Tashkent, uh, Asiatic part of Russia, and it's the middle of the night, and all these soldiers are sleeping, whatever, and a Russian officer gets on the train car and says, anybody here Jewish? And the guy says, what, what now? But he raises his hand, I am, and he goes over to me, so he goes, do you know how to perform a circumcision? And he's like freaking out. And he said, yes, I do. Well, come with me. And the bottom line was, a Russian general, who was the governor of that city, had a Jewish mistress, and she had a baby, and she's screaming, that if he doesn't have a bridge, she'll kill herself. And he swore to do whatever it takes to find a mile. And basically, the chassid, if I can use the expression, cut a deal with the guy. And he said, I'll do the bris meal, and you get me out of the army. And that's what happened. And so it's a chassidic tale, because you see, you didn't know what the Rebbe had in mind, but you could see beforehand. All I'm saying is, these stories of these Jewish girls end up in these non-Jewish situations, the Queen Esther story, uh, are unf- unfortunately uh, not atypical. I use the word unfortunately from the human being, it's a, it's, it's a tragic story. But sometimes a part of a higher hashkacha, you understand? It's a, it's a strange, uh, like Queen Esther ends up a higher hashkacha. In the case of Dina, all we know are the hints that are thrown at us by these few midrashim that I threw at you. Uh, you know, uh, they they threw away. This is the basis why you get the story, I think, in Picker of Eliezer, which one is unusual Midrashim, that, you know, uh, uh, Dina is left uh, alone and uh, d- despondent, and Shimon marries her, the brother, which again is a kind of weird, brother and sister got married, and the child of the rape, I think, or maybe it's the child of, of the brother and sister, ends up marrying Yosef, you know, that's the, with the locket. We, we've all heard that story. It's in the, it's in the, I believe it's, in, I think it's the Picker of Lezer. Uh, where you get that from? Well, whatever happened to Dina? You know, we know the story of the, uh, you know, her being violated. We know the story of the revenge. Uh, we know the story, you know, Yaakov's behavior is ambivalent, isn't it? Yaakov never said, I just want to be clear about this. Yaakov never says to his sons, Oh, you committed an act that violates the United Nations Constitution. You know, you commit an act of, uh, of, uh, yeah, what's the right word? You know, genocide. And you overreacted. You know, one guy did. He killed out a whole town, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yaakov is, is strictly pragmatic. He said, "You're going to get the Arabs all riled up, and they're going to come and attack us and kill us." You see, Yaakov's thinking very pragmatically, and the brothers say, "Too bad." And in the end, you know, the brothers are right that the Arabs do not come and attack them. 
at least according to Pashup Shah. So uh, it's a complicated story. Anyway, uh, all this is brought into relief by his juxtaposition to the story of Yaakov and Esau. And Chazal's uh, reading into that juxtaposition, see if he would have married Esau, then the whole thing later on would not have happened. So we end up with a very complex uh, uh, tale of uh, life in the Middle East long ago. Why would the other Arabs, somebody asked me this question the other day, why would the other Arabs attack um, Yaakov and his family? After all, they would do the same thing. The sister was raped and they took revenge. And the answer I gave was, in the Middle East, Shechem did the honorable thing. Meaning, if, if such a thing happened, and the rapist goes and says, listen, I'm really sorry about the whole thing, and I will do whatever you ask me to do to show that I really regret what I did, and I want to start a new leaf, and marry into your family, and be honorable, honor, 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 then people say, yes, all right, I mean, you know, it wasn't a great beginning, but at least he did the right thing. He shows that he was properly contrite, he was properly apologetic. Like I say, he really did put his money where his mouth was, mohar amaton, and so what do you want from the guy? Why would you kill him? So you had a clash of moralities, uh, because the Torah doesn't believe in that. Uh, there's a famous passage that says, Lo tichu kofri if a guy, it's a one of the six hundred thirty mitzvahs. If a guy murders somebody, you can't let him pay off the family. Because in a lot of cultures, you know, you say, I guess, you just murdered uh, Cousin Charlie, but Cousin Charlie was an idiot anyway, and we'll give you a, a check for half a million bucks, $750,000. A lot of families will take it, <laughs> you know? They say, I'll buy a new car, you know? I'll have to pay off my base Yankee bills. But they'll, they'll take it. Didn't know this other type of morality. Anyway, those are a few thoughts. Have a good Shabbos.